Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to HypnoBits. HypnoBits is a radio show for students and practitioners of hypnosis. It is February 17th, 2017, and I'm Linda Campbell, coming to you from beautiful Victoria, B.C. I am a registered clinical counseling hypnotherapist and president of the Canadian Association of Counseling Hypnotherapists and Educators, and also run my own hypnotherapy school, the Horizon Center School of Hypnotherapy. And today I want to talk about a topic that has come up lately amongst my students and even in my own practice, and this is around doing Skype sessions. Now, for years and years, I've considered doing Skype sessions, but there are just so many things that could potentially go wrong and I've got an office and it's a full schedule so I don't really have time to fit those people in however lately I've been getting more inquiries and my students have been bringing it up as well I've got a student currently who speaks Spanish and has contacts in Central and South America and another one who looking for volunteers took a big bold step to reach out to various large cities in Canada and the States uh, to find people to practice on and wants to do it, obviously, over Skype. So big shout-out to Jackie for taking such a courageous step to reach out for volunteers. So last night I met with a group of my students. Uh, When you train with me, we do in-person and online supervision hours weekly so that you can ask questions and get support and feedback. And again, this was a topic that came up. So because Jackie has has done a session now and troubleshooted some of the problems that we anticipate would come up, being online with a client, we sat down and sort of made a list of all the things to consider. I'm always saying to my students when they do sessions, think about all the things that could possibly go wrong and make sure that you take care of them in advance, kind of like baby-proofing. Can't wait for the baby to fall down the stairs before you put up the baby gate. If you're thinking about it in advance, you can head off disasters. So we've got quite an extensive list of things to consider But if you were to put all of these things in place, take them into consideration prior to doing your Skype sessions, then your Skype sessions will be effective. And hey, why not broaden your reach? Why not um, make your practice more successful by being able to cut down on expenses, not needing an office necessarily? And who doesn't want to do uh, hypnosis in their jammy pants? Okay. I'm just kidding. Okay, so some of the things that we came up with. Now, first off, most of these things on the list actually apply not only to yourself as the hypnotherapist, but also to your client. So obviously, both you and your client need to have the proper equipment. Going to need a recent computer, speakers. Obviously, you need to have Skype downloaded prior, and you'll have to share your profile name with your Skype client and them with you so that all of that stuff is taken care of. And you'll need to have a webcam. And I recommend that when you meet for your consultation or maybe on another occasion, that you actually do a full technical run, not meaning you go through the entire session, but you look at how the webcam's working, what kind of lighting is in the room, uh, how the sound is for your voice as well as for any music, and that you consider things like if you're going to be using some kind of music, who's responsible for that? 
is it going to be on your end as the hypnotherapist where you have control over turning it up or turning it down during your uh, entrance and exit into the session, or is it going to be on the client's side? And if so, uh, are you going to be asking them to turn it up or turn it down, that sort of thing? So you need to take into consideration all of that. Uh, you want to be able to see your client well, so it might be a good idea to do your technical check at the same time of day or with the same amount of light or lack thereof, that will be the case when it's the actual session time. Uh, if we're not able to see the client clearly, obviously we can miss ab reactions. And there's nothing worse than letting your client cry it out by themselves while you're missing that they're actually teary. So you want to check into all of that stuff ahead of time. You also want to talk about who's going to be responsible for reconnecting if the connection is lost. <laughs> because, again, uh, isn't exactly supportive of the session going well if the connection gets lost and the client's waiting for you to reconnect and you're waiting for them to reconnect and everybody's you know just sitting around waiting for it to happen. So whose responsibility is it going to be? You may also want to give suggestions that if the client needs to take themselves out of hypnosis, like if the connection is lost and they want to come out of hypnosis safely, that they have a self-exit to do so, and that can be anything. Open your eyes and tell yourself wide awake and alert, and you'll be instantly alert and aware. Uh, or, you know, it's also a good idea to give the client the ability to exit themselves should they like to at any point. Now, you also need to consider payment. Of course, when we see a client in person, we're handling the payment face-to-face. -face. But obviously, we need to think of another option when we're working with a client online. So there's lots of options. Of course, you could use email transfer. You can get yourself a square and just punch their credit card numbers into it. You could use PayPal, um, some other means of collecting credit card payment. But you just want to work that out ahead of time. Another thing you want to work out ahead of time is if there's going to be a time zone difference between you and your client, have you taken that into consideration when you're booking your session? Also, do you need to take into consideration who might be home or you know, any of those other details depending on the time zone? Uh, you want the client, obviously, to pick a time of day or set up their environment so that they're not going to have distractions or disturbances. And we're, we're going to talk about all of that stuff coming up. So, again, taking the payment ahead of time, uh, working out the technical side of it, working out who's going to be responsible for the music, who's going to be responsible for reconnecting if the connection's lost, and uh, the time zone if it's different. So this whole next bunch of things, again, applies both to you and to the client. One of the things you're going to want to consider is the background. Um, even though when the client is in hypnosis, they're likely going to have their eyes closed, they will be talking to you prior to the session ahead of time and, of course, could open their eyes at any point during the session. Uh, so you want to make sure that your background is uncluttered, clean, professional, even though you may be working at home, that doesn't mean that professionalism can go right out the window. You don't need to have your dirty laundry hanging in the background or hanging over a chair or your dirty dishes from lunch sitting there on the counter behind you. So whether that's cleaning your place ahead of time, rearranging furniture, putting up some type of a screen or something so that they're just seeing you and not your background, you'll want to consider that. You're also going to want to think about confidentiality. Uh, I sometimes do Zoom meetings, supervision meetings, where I'm meeting with students or uh, association members online, 
and my family is aware that I'm on the computer doing a meeting, and so they're quiet, but they're still sometimes visible in the background. They'll get up and wander through the kitchen or you know, be in the background somehow. So again, likely your client's going to have their eyes closed. However, if they happen to open their eyes and there's some teenage boy lumbering in the background getting himself a drink of water, that's going to be a problem. Just as we need to respect our client's confidentiality in our office, we also need to respect it in our homes. So there shouldn't be somebody around on your end or on their end who can be listening in on the conversation or listening in on the session. So again, clients need to be able to know that they can trust you with their information and there may be things that they want to say to you that they wouldn't necessarily say to you in front of their spouse or their kids so you also want to make sure that they have privacy on their end and so it might just be a good idea to tell your client no friends no family no kids no pets around during the time of our session Uh, but in the case that there might be somebody home you want to make sure that that person is not going to be disturbed so I'd recommend a closed room for you and for them if possible And on the door to that room, a do not disturb sign and another do not disturb sign on any outside doors. You don't want the mailman or whomever to come knocking during the middle of a session. So consider confidentiality. Make sure there aren't a bunch of people around. Uh, If the person that you're working with has young kids, they may want to arrange a sitter for the time or have the kids out of the house even better for the time that your session is going on. Again, doing it at home (laughs) saves you having to have an office, but you should still be treating it as though you have a client coming into your office. They shouldn't be thinking, well, you know, I don't need to get a sitter. The kids can be home while I'm doing this. Because, I don't know, any other moms out there, if they're in the chair worrying about whether their kids need something, it's going to keep them from being able to go into hypnosis or being able to relax easily. So better that somebody picks up the kids and takes them away. Uh, Other things to consider pets, (laughs) yours and theirs. Now, you might not be aware of this, but pets are almost always in an alpha state, and they tend to be drawn towards other alpha states. So when your client goes into hypnosis, that is highly attractive to animals. Even if they're not in the room originally, sometimes they'll start to gather around and even want to get up on the lap of the person who's in hypnosis and be part of it. So (laughs) take into consideration first any of their pets. Uh, Would it be less distracting for them to lock any animals out of the house or out of the room, but then maybe have to listen to a cat scratching at the door or a dog barking, or would it be less distracting to have a door open so that the pets can come in and possibly have the person end up with an animal on their lap? So you want to find out from them what their preference would be. And, of course, this is a time where you'll want to take into consideration trance management. If an animal comes into the room and gets on the person's lap, or if there's some kind of scratching or barking outside, you're going to need to be aware of that on your end so that you can deepen the client as necessary. You could even use a pet being on their lap as a deepener. It may be comforting to have your pet on your lap. As the animal jumps up and as it nestles in, you find yourself becoming even more deeply relaxed. So find out what's going to be less distracting for them. Warn them in advance that animals may be attracted to the trance state. Keep your eyes on them to make sure that you can see (laughs) that part of their body. Uh, Okay, if you have your webcam just aimed at the person's face so that you can see ab reactions, but then you're not aware that a pet's just jumped into their lap, you're not going to know to do trance management. So this is something to take care of on the technical run 
is to make sure that your view of the client includes not just their face but their upper body and their lap if, in fact, there could be the potential of a pet getting into their lap. Think about pets on your end, right? So, again, it's the same thing. If your animals are going to be in the room, uh, I don't know about you, but it seems like every time I open up my computer at home, my cat wants to be on the keyboard. If I'm dealing with a client and I'm looking into my webcam and I've got a cat walking around in front of me, my client is watching the cat's butt and tail, and that's not particularly professional. So you may want to figure out how you're going to deal with that ahead of time. Do you not have the pet in the room? Um, do you let them know that there may be a pet coming up and just maintain your you know, professionalism, your decorum, even if there's that kind of distraction? And depending on what kind of pet it is, too, what if your client has a fear of dogs and you've locked the dog out of the room so that you can have quiet and then the dog starts barking outside and you didn't know the client had a fear of dogs? That could startle them or trigger their anxiety. So if you have dogs that may be making sounds in the background or maybe in the room with you, you probably want to check with your client first to make sure that that's not going to be something that causes them some kind of distress. So taking into consideration animals that are going to be attracted on your end or their end and whether it's going to be more or less distracting to just allow them in. And then that's bringing me to the point of desensitizing. If there's going to be client, or sorry, clients' pets on your end or their end, you're going to want to desensitize them to any sounds or potentially any movement. But you also want to think beyond, obviously, just the sounds of pets. So when I teach my students, I have them desensitize the client to any environmental sounds that are going on in the office or in the room where they're doing hypnosis. So with their eyes closed as we're putting the client into hypnosis, I have the client pay attention to sounds that are obvious and then sounds that, you know, mention sounds that could occur and use that as a, a deepener. So these things may be going on, but you'll find they just remain in the background, that you, you have no interest in them, and that should there be a sound that occurs, your natural response is to become even more deeply relaxed. So I do this to my client when they're in my office so that if there is a sound that occurs at some point during the session, it's not, not going to startle the client out of hypnosis. And again, if you're doing a Skype session, not only do you need to desensitize them to sounds that might occur in your environment, but you also need to desensitize them to sounds that could occur in their environment. So <laughs> you might mention, you know, your pet and um, whatever little sounds are occurring on your end, but then a car backfires on their end, or their husband comes home and slams the door, or their kid is watching television. So you might want to listen to the sounds that are going on on their end and if you can't hear them you might just want to clarify with your client what kinds of sounds are going on for you and what kinds of things are likely to occur in your household or around your household so you might want to take into consideration traffic noises out on the street other people in the house pets sounds that they can hear within the room and again don't just rely on your own hearing because things may be more obvious on their end than what you can hear through your speakers now, while we're on the topic of sounds, you also want to make sure that everything is turned off on your computer you, as well as their computer prior to doing the session. So you don't want your Facebook and your email open because then you're going to get dinging from Facebook notifications or sounds of an email coming in. And again, this can be distracting. You get your client nicely into hypnosis and <laughs> there's some kind of sound from your computer in the background. You also want to make sure there's nothing downloading or uploading because that's going to interfere with bandwidth. 
And so, again, instruct them that other than the Skype, that they should have nothing on their computer and make sure that all of your programs are shut down as well. Uh, if the signal is lost, you may want to prepare them in advance that they should stay by themselves for a little while. Now, when clients come out of hypnosis, for a few minutes they are still in a hypnotic state, so they are suggestible. So if somebody comes out of hypnosis and uh, because the connection shut down and their husband walks in the room and says, oh, are you doing that stupid hypnosis thing? That can actually be accepted into the subconscious as a hypnotic suggestion and undo all the work that you did. So when I've got my client in my office, I'm taking some time with them to debrief. I'm making sure that they're recombobulated before I send them out into the world. I'm making sure that they're, you know, kind of got themselves back together. But again, when the client is in their own home, if a signal gets lost, you don't have control over taking some time with them to make sure that they're sort of back to their senses, so to speak, before they invest themselves or engage themselves back into the world. So prepare them in advance that they will remain in a hypnotic state, likely for a few minutes after they come out of hypnosis. So should the signal be lost, they should stay to themselves for a little while until they're feeling, you know, they've come back around properly before they are around other people, before they put on the TV, before they put on the radio, that sort of thing. Now, one thing we talked about uh, with my students as well is the option of having them go to sleep instead of being exited. If you're doing hypnosis with them and they're comfortable in their own homes, depending on the type of, time of night or day or whether they're a napper or not, this may be an option instead of exiting them. So instead of counting them up or whatever you would do to exit them, you would give them suggestions to be able to drift off to sleep. And of course, that can also be a nice time to reinforce that while they're sleeping, the suggestions can be integrated and accepted into the subconscious so that they're easier to follow. And it might be a good idea to write out all of these policies and procedures and give them to the client to read prior to your session. Although I've sometimes given things for my clients to view or read prior to a session only to find out they haven't done so. So I would still go over it with them during the consultation or over the technical run just to make sure that you're both on the same page and they understand you know, everything that they need to do in order to be properly prepared. So I hope that gives you some good ideas as to you know, how to troubleshoot the things that could potentially go wrong during a Skype session. You know, It's a big broad world out there, and we certainly don't have to be limited to the number of people in our town or in our nearby vicinity to work on, and um, why not make it available to, to a broader group of people? Now, next week, same time, I'm going to be addressing what a first session really looks like, debunking the myths that a practitioner may have about hypnosis. And again, this comes out of the conversation I had with my students last night. Uh, clients sometimes have ideas as to what hypnosis is going to be all about. They come in with their own set of myths and misconceptions about what a session is going to look like or feel like. I oftentimes have people say to me after the first session, oh, wow, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be like at all. I thought I was going to be asleep or unconscious, and you were going to ask me a bunch of questions, and I would answer them, but I didn't know, I wouldn't know what I was saying, and then afterwards you would tell me, and it would all be a big surprise. And so usually they're, they're pretty surprised at how involved they are in the session, how alert, how much they remember. But I'm recognizing that people who are new to hypnosis also the practitioner, have um, misconceptions about what to expect in that first session. And so I'm going to be addressing 
that next week and uh, giving you an idea about what a first session really looks like. So instead of having your session and thinking, oh, that was terrible, it wasn't successful, all those things that were supposed to happen didn't happen, you can have confidence right off the bat uh, when you're working new to this profession when you're practicing. So tune in next week. That will be Friday, February 24th, I believe. Yes, at 2.30. And, of course, if you don't catch the shows live, they are available in iTunes afterwards. Take care. Bye-bye.